0: If you're a kid, why don't you come on up and sit on the front pew with me? Actually, you sit on the pew and I'll stand. Hi, sweetie. How are you guys today? Good. Good. Hey, I have a question for you. Do you know what this is? Money. This is what? Money. It's money. It's a a what? It's a $1 bill. Do you know what it says on the back of the $1 bill? In God we trust. This says we trust God. It also is the way that we buy things, right? If you have one of these... You can go to the store and you can buy stuff. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. Who does this belong to? The government. Oh. No. Yeah. It's me. It's mine, right? Yeah. Would you like to have a dollar bill? Yeah. How do you get dollar I bills? Have a bill. You have a $100 bill? Give it to me. I have it. Oh, okay. How do you get dollar bills? How can you get this? What, Adrian? You do what? Doing what? You could do work, right? I and mean, how else can you do, get it? I got wood. Earning it. Earning it, doing work, selling wood, did you say? No. What? Finding it and Oh, finding it when you're walking and you just find it? Yeah. That would be a great way of getting it. I mean, you know, even some people, sometimes they steal it, right? They take it from somebody. That's not good. What else? How else can they get a dollar? Me? For, uh, for trading. By trading? Yeah. Oh, that's a good way to get a dollar. It's it's kind of to that. What would be a good way to get a dollar? Um, walk. By what, honey? By walk- she said by walking. By walking? Yeah. I know some people that if you walk you can maybe get a dollar. But do you know one of the best ways to get a dollar? Hmm, let me think, let me think, let me think. Who do I want to come up here? Lillian, come on up here. You know how you could get a dollar? Come on, stand right here. I could give it to you. Would you like to have that dollar? You sure? You want to keep it? Okay, it's yours. You can go sit down. Isn't that cool? See, you, she didn't have to work. She didn't have to do anything. She just said she wanted it, and I gave it to her, and she said thank you. Did you say thank you? Yeah. Oh, good. (laughs) That's all. See, sometimes you can get things given to you that you don't have to work for, and you don't have to try to make somebody, convince somebody to give it to you. They just give it to you because they want to give it to you. It's a gift. But guess what? If I had said to Lillian, do you want this dollar? And she said, no. Then I don't give it to her, right? Yeah. Cause if she doesn't want it, I'm not going to give it to her. No, and then she would go back and sit down and she wouldn't have a dollar to take to the store. It, right? It says, no. Well, I want to tell you about a gift that God has for all of us. It's called grace. It's a, that's a Bible word, but let me, let me read to you what it says about grace and then I'll tell you what it means. In, in the book that was written called the Ephesians, in chapter two, verse eight and nine, it says, we have been saved by grace through faith. And this is not because you did anything. It's a gift that God gives to us. It's not anything we work for or earn. That way we can't say, I did this. God gives us salvation. God gives us grace. And the way we get grace is God says, would you like to have grace? Would you like to be in relationship with me? Would you like to be saved? And then you simply say, yes. And then God gives it to you. Isn't that cool? One other verse I want to read to you. It's out of a book called Titus. Titus is a really tiny little book. And it's sometimes you miss it when you're going through because it's so small. But let me read it, read to you out of Titus. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared to us and it brings salvation for all people. See, that's the thing that's so cool is God doesn't just simply say, Lillian, do you want grace? God says to all of you, do you guys want to be saved? And if you say yes, God will give it to you because God's gift is for every person, every single person. All we have to do is say, yes, God, I want it. And so in that same way, I would like to ask you guys. So that way, when you see a dollar bill, you can remember that God gives you your salvation God gives you your grace and all you have to do is say yes Shane would you like a dollar bill you need to come on up and get it man if you'd like a dollar bill you can have it okay Audrey would you like a dollar bill I can't remember your. is it Bri Bristol Bristol. Bristol. I always want to say Brianna and I know that's not right Bristol would you like a dollar bill come on up and get it and what is your sister's name Sayla, Would you like a dollar bill? Yeah. Come on up. Yeah. She knows what these are for. Adrian, would you like a dollar bill? Yeah. Okay. Well, those are gifts. You can do whatever you want with it. You don't have to. You don't have to give it back to me. You can put it in your bank. You can go to the store and spend it. You can tell mom and dad that you want to give it to somebody else. Whatever you want to do, it's yours. Okay. Let me pray with you guys. Shane, come on, back up here, man. It's not time to go to the store yet. Let's pray. God, bless these kids. Thank you, Father. This is a simple lesson, and I pray that it sticks. Help them to understand that the gift you offer them is free. They don't have to pay for it. They don't have to earn it. They don't have to do anything but say yes, and then reach out and take it from you when you offer it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can you guys go back with your teachers now, okay, to your class? Thanks for coming this morning. I got an email. I got an email yesterday from a family that's considering coming to church and they said... Um, We have six children that we would be bringing with us, if that's okay. I don't want to overwhelm you guys. And I said, no, that's great. Thank you. And then I sent a text message to somebody this morning, said, can you make sure you got $20 bills when you come to the church this morning? I've got 13, but I don't know if that's going to be enough. They didn't come this morning. I'm sad they're not here, but I was like, oh, I'm glad I had enough dollar bills. So. Anyway, I'm going to tell you two stories, true stories out of my past, and it's important for you to know my history before you hear what I'm going to say to you this morning. So here's the story. I was born in 1959. Ooh, I'm old. Not as old as some, and not as young as some. When I was about 23 or so, we were living in Massachusetts. My aunt, my dad's only sister, who is a lawyer and who is very wise. I always go to her for counsel. She had a cabin up in New Hampshire mountains and Renee and I and I probably our daughter or maybe it was before our daughter was born. I don't remember now, but we had gone up to the mountains with Aunt Marion and Aunt Mary and we were up there and visiting and we were talking about credit Credit cards, because we were new, newly married. We didn't have a lot yet. And we were being inundated with credit card offers. And my aunt Marion said to me, Bobby, do not lock yourself into a life of credit. Mm -hmm. Because if you do, if you get a credit card and you start using it, you are literally condemning yourself to living on 25% less every single month because you'll be paying that to the creditors. And I wish I had listened to her, but I didn't. And within four years, I was in debt to here, car payments, credit cards, signature loans. We had three, two children at the time. Um, Renee was a stay-at-home mom. She was baking cakes and decorating cakes, trying to make extra money. I when our, when our daughter Kelly, when we moved to Mississippi, after leaving the Philippines, we moved to Mississippi, I to get a second job just to be able to make sure we had groceries. At one point, I was literally having to use my visa card to pay my electric bill because I didn't have enough cash. It was aggravating, frustrating, and I was kicking myself. Why didn't I listen to my aunt? Now... We are now in 1984 through 87, we're in, Missis- we, I mean, for, excuse me, 87 to 1990, we're now in Mississippi. We've left the Philippines, we've come back from being overseas. We have three children, we're going to church at the Gulfport Church of the Nazarene in Mississippi, and I am an E6, if you know anything about the military, that means I'm a tech sergeant, I'm in the Air Force, um, I am mid-level management, and um I qualified for WIC and food stamps, and oh, that hurt my pride, hurt my pride. I'm not taking charity, and a friend of mine said to me, you've progressed in your military career faster than your peers, haven't you? Yes. Is it your fault that you've been doing really well in your chosen career, and that you're employer isn't paying you enough to be able to feed your family if you've done the best you can and you still can't make enough isn't it okay to receive a little bit of help (sighs) okay so i did we went on WIC. we never had to go to food stamps but we did go on WIC. um but that was part of it just it stuck in me it was a pride thing for me it was an issue of i I've made stupid choices, and I can't pay for my own my own way, and I feel badly, and I feel like I'm not a good husband, and I'm not a good father, I'm not a good provider, and it was just a focus for me. We were going to this church that was about this size, you know, 40 people or so in Mississippi, and there was another military family that went there, I don't remember their names now, that was 40 years ago, but... He and I were peers. He was an E6. I was an E6. He, is, he was married. I was married. They had three children. I, we had three children. They drove a new car. Their children always had the latest and greatest toys. She had the nicest clothing. We were barely scraping by. And I was livid. God, I've been serving you since I was 16, God, I have been faithfully paying my tithe. And I know for a fact they don't pay a tithe. No, God, I don't understand this. Why am I struggling? Why is my family struggling? Why do they get all the blessings? And they're not even honoring you with their whole with their whole paycheck. I'm the one that's struggling. This is so aggravating. That was number one. Number two, same church. I was uh, my practice of, 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 of being a member of the Church of the Nazarene was that Renee and I felt that when we moved from place to place to place, we would move our church membership to the local church where we were worshiping. There were some military people that actually kept their, their membership back at their home congregation and then monthly they would send their tithe back to that church and they would be aligned with their home church. But in our case, we always felt that it was appropriate for us to actually join the congregation that we were part of. And so we would become members there. We would serve there. We would financially support that ch- congregation. And at, at certain points, we, because we were members of that congregation, we ended up getting, getting elected to positions of authority and leadership. And at one point, I was, during my time at Gulfport Church of the Nazarene, I was elected to be on the church board. And after church, after that particular service, when the election was announced and it was announced who was now on the church board, there was a man who was in his late 60s, early 70s, who was a retired chief master sergeant in the Air Force, who was the worship leader of that church who had, through his military career, always kept his his membership there at the Gulfport Church of the Nazarene and always sent his money back and always prayed for and supported that local congregation through his almost 30-year military career. He came up to me after that service and he pulled me aside and he chewed me out. How dare you come into this congregation and steal a position on the leadership team that is rightfully mine? I have come, I have supported, I have devoted, I have served, and I don't get elected to the church board because you come and take it away from me? Two stories out of my life. Now let's look at the Bible. Matthew chapter 20 is where we're at, but we have to go back into Matthew chapter 19 to get an understanding. And the reason is these chapter divisions and these verses, the verse numbers, this is an artificial separation that man has done. When Matthew initially wrote this, he started at one end of the scroll and just kept writing. There was no chapter, there was no verse. And so we have to go back a little bit into 19 to get an understanding of why he's writing the first part of chapter 20. So we'll go back to chapter 19, verse 23. Now, to remind us, the rich young man has just come to Jesus and said, What must I do to earn eternal life? And Jesus said, you don't have to do anything good. You don't have to do anything. Just follow the commandments. I've done all those things. Okay, well, if you want to do something, then what you want to do is you want to sell everything you have and come and follow me. And the rich young man said, oh, and walked away sad. And Jesus didn't follow him and chase him down and say, no, no, no. Whoop, whoop something out. No, he let him walk. And then he turned to his disciples and he said, verse 23, Jesus said to his disciples, I say to you truly, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, a kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And then, and this is the verse that I wanted to focus on this morning. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, well, see, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And if you remember last week, I said, I want to slap Peter upside the head for this statement. It's not, what have you done? What have you lost? Just Anyway, okay. I'll have to talk to him when I get up there because I can't do anything about it right now. Jesus said to him or to them, truly, I say to you in the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed, uh, Me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Verse 30. Everyone who will be first. Many who are first will be last and the last first. What? What does that mean? Well, let's go into the next section, talking about the laborers in the vineyard. Jesus then tells a parable, and he says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard, And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again at the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did exactly the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and he found others still standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. So when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those who were hired first came, they thought they'd be receiving more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, These last worked only one hour. You made them equal to us who have been born the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So, the last will be first, and the first will be last. So, Jesus bookended, or Matthew bookended, that statement. The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. And then he bookended it around this parable that Jesus taught. Now... We don't have a full understanding of their culture, so let me give you a little bit of understanding. I, I learned because I studied. It's so wonderful when you read things that you that you're not familiar with. But one of the things that it says, he says, very early in the morning. And that culture, it's an agrarian society, and that culture, they are they are they work with the sun. Okay? So sun up around dawn, six in the morning-ish. So their timeline is that the the first hour is six o'clock in the morning. And then it said he went out about the third hour. That would have been nine o'clock. Then he said he went out at the sixth hour. That would have been 12 noon. Then it said he went out three hours later. That was three o'clock. Then he went out at the 11th hour. So that would have been around 5 p.m., And then it came time for the day to end. They'd worked for 12 hours. The sun was getting ready to go down. And it was their culture. It was required by the law of Moses that an employer would give the workers their daily wage so that they would have money to go home to buy whatever they needed for their... And so this was the normal practice. The, 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 The employer would go to the city square, the gates of the city... And he would hire people. One of the commentators that I was reading said, it's like going down to the job center in your city. And there's all the people there who are looking for employment. And you as an employer come down and say, I need seven guys. Anybody want to work for me? And the seven or eight people raise their hand. And you, 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 and you. Okay, come with me. Basically, that's what he did. But he did it at six in the morning, at nine in the morning, at noon, at three, at five. And then finally came time. To pay Now, one of the other things you need to understand, because again, it doesn't make sense to us when we read the words, is he said to the very first workers, you come and work for me. Now, this is six in the morning. You come and work for me for the next 12 hours, basically, and I will give you a denarius. What's a denarius? Do you know? A denarius is a silver coin in the Roman Empire. A denarius would have Caesar's image on one side, and then it would have one of the gods on the other side. And it was what a Roman soldier was paid for their daily wage. Now, for an employer to come to unskilled labor who were standing at the marketplace wanting to get a job, for him to say, I will give you pay equal to a trained Roman soldier if you'll come and weed in my garden for 12 hours. Wanna do it? You bet I want that money. That's good money. So these workers that came at, that were hired at, at dawn were contracting to work a full 12 hours, but they were going to get good money. And it was worth all the effort. So they did. And then you read when he Jesus' parable, Jesus said the next one, the, the next one, the next one, the next one. He didn't talk about what he was going to give. He just said, I'll pay you what's fair. If you look at the one for the third hour, verse 4. He said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. There was no negotiation of, of the amount he would pay. It was simply, I'll give you good money. I'm giving everyone good money. I'll give you good money if you'll work for me. Okay, sure. So then when it came time for the accounting, it's interesting. Jesus says to his foreman, make the daily wages out to everybody, but bring up the ones who were hired last and pay them first. And the people started seeing that they were getting the uh, the denarius. I mean, because basically what's happening is if imagine if there's a table sitting there and the foreman is sitting at the table. And the worker comes up, and they're all standing in line, one at a time. And he's standing there, hat in hand, and he said, yes, John? Okay, here, denarius. Denarius? Yeah. Thank you, sir. And he walks away. The next one's up. He said, you were hired at five? One denarius. Denarius? Really? Thank you, sir. He walks out. Well, then the three o'clock folks get a denarius. And then the 12 noon people get Denarius. Well, the guys in the back of the line, the ones who've been there since, the, since dawn, they're seeing what's going on and like, whoa, these guys only worked a couple hours. Wonder what we're going to get. This is pretty cool. I mean, he promised us good wages. Amazing. We're going to get great wages. This is amazing. <laughs> and then they get up there, Denarius, What? What are you talking about, Denarius? I worked 12 hours. Denarius? And at that point, the landowner steps up and he says, friend, come here, come here. When we initially contracted, what did we discuss? Well, you, I work in your garden, you give me a denarius. Did I? Yeah. So where's the problem? Well, I work 12 hours in the scorching sun, in the heat, in the wind. I'm only getting a Denarius? doing you wrong I mean would it have been better for you just to stand around and never get hired because that's the prospect you were facing I promised you good wages I'm giving you good wages you didn't have a problem accepting that offer this morning what's the problem oh is it that you're jealous is it that you think that I'm being unfair but don't I have the right to do what I want with what's mine? If I want to bless somebody with a blessing, isn't that my right to do that? How can you feel that you're being mistreated if I'm blessing someone else? Therefore the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Okay disciples, let's go have food. Uh, uh. And then that evening around the campfire, all of a sudden, maybe a light dawns for Peter. Well, I followed you all. I've given up everything. What am, he going to, what am I going to be getting? Oh. Hmm. Now, I, as I was prayerfully trying to discern what I should be preaching on this morning, because this, if you read through Matthew chapter 20, There's, uh, this parable of the vineyard, then there's Jesus talking about his death, and then there's Mrs. Zebedee requesting a place of authority for her kids, and then there's the two blind men. And and honestly, I was, I was like, Lord, which one do you want? And he said, the vineyard. I'm like, I don't want to preach the vineyard. It's too, it's, it's just a simple story. It does, has nothing to talk about there. There's no rich, deep meat there. Come on, let's do something different. Lord (sighs) said, no. Honestly, I was struggling. And I said, would you just show me what of the vineyard is so rich and so deep and so. And the very first thought to my that came to me was, what about those poor guys that stood for 11 hours in the courtyard? No one hiring them. Hoping against hope to get something so that they could take care of their family. And no one's hiring them because they're unskilled laborers. They have nothing to offer. And all of a sudden, out of the goodness of his heart, a man comes up and says, why are you still standing here? Don't you realize how late it is? Well, yeah. Why are you here? Well, nobody hired me. I'll hire you. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Go work in my vineyard. Grace. And who am I? Who gave the Lord my heart when I was 16 and have served him faithfully for almost 50 plus years? Mm -hmm. To begrudge the 80-year-old who on his deathbed gives his heart to Christ. Mm -hmm. Who am I to begrudge that old man? An entrance into heaven. Well, he lived his life. He made his choices. Who am I? And then the other thing the Lord said to me as I was mulling on this and chewing on it was, yeah, yeah, 12 hours in the sun, 12 hours in the heat, 12 hours in the in the raw wind, and your fingers are raw and your back is aching and it's hard. But you have, for those full 12 hours, all of the confidence in the world that you will be able to provide for your family come the end of the day. That your needs are met. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's not the most pleasant. But I know that I know that I know this man's good for his word. He will be paying me. And it's a denarius. I mean, I don't even have to be a Roman soldier. I get a denarius for 12 hours of work. That's amazing. So for those of us who are the 12-hour shift guys, we don't get the promise of the light, easy, one hour, and then you're done. But we have the walk of confidence, knowing that our Heavenly Father's got us. He's got our back. He's going to provide for us. He's going to take care of us. Now, does that mean that there won't be heat? Nope. Does that mean that there won't be wind as you work? Nope. Does that mean that you won't be sweaty? Nope. Does that mean that your back is not going to be aching by the end of the day? Nope. What does it mean? That you will receive your reward when the time is right. And it will be exactly what was promised to you at the beginning. And you can walk in confidence. As hard as it may get, you can walk in confidence, knowing that he will never fail you. He will never forsake you. He will never pull the rug out from underneath you. He will never give you a double hand and say, oh, I'm just kidding. If I had said to these kids, who wants a dollar? And then I handed them a monopoly dollar. That would have been destructive. But that's not how God works. God gives you what he promises. But you notice, he didn't promise anything to the later guys. He simply said, work and I'll pay you what's right. There was no specific. And they took it on faith that they were going to get something at the end. And they were willing to take whatever they could get, apparently. And then to find out They were getting paid the equivalent of a day's wages for a Roman soldier, even though I only worked for an hour or three or four. That's amazing. And that's grace. And it's available to all. You heard me tell the kids that. Mm -hmm. It is available to all. As I said, I want to slap Peter upside the head for his comment. But you know why I want to slap Peter upside the head for his comment? Because of all the apostles, all the people in the Bible, he's the one I identify most with. And I see myself in him. Because I fussed at God Because I was paying my tithe and I wasn't getting blessed with a new car. And I wasn't getting blessed with new toys for my children. And I wasn't getting blessed with my wife wearing the latest and greatest fashion. And God gave me a glimpse of what what my life could look like at the end of my life. If I lived with that nasty attitude by what that old man did to me. He was 50 years my senior. And he showed me what a life of anger and frustration looked like. Because this man who was the worship leader of our church had anything but a Christ-like attitude. When he confronted this young 20-something-year-old kid who was trying to serve God to the best of his ability. And who had leadership skills because God has gifted me. My One of my spiritual gifts is leadership. Well, why would God give me leadership if he didn't want me to be a leader? And so people in the church would recognize that I was a leader. And they would give me a position of leadership. And this man had the audacity... This man who supposedly is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, who loves God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, who leads people to the throne of grace every Sunday, had the, the audacity to come and chew on me because the God, the church people were recognizing my God-given talents and abilities. And he could have destroyed whatever God was trying to do in my life by his negative, vicious, self-centered poison. And God showed me back in the 80s, you never want to be this, Bob. And you're heading down that path. Because you're so worried about money. And you're so worried about what's in it for you. Instead of just blindly walking in hand in hand with me, trusting me. Believing in me. I've got you. I know when you need money. I know when you need protection. I know when you need food. And I will take care of it. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Trust me. Do not. Do not allow yourself to go down that path. In my notes. Let me read it to you. Because I didn't say it when I was telling you the story. Of my life. And the notes that I wrote to myself that I wanted to make sure that I included. This was a work of the enemy in my life. I was a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I was I would believe with all my heart that I was saved and sanctified, walking in the power of the Spirit. But the enemy was able to twist or at least distract my vision off of the throne of God and onto my circumstances and onto my frustration. The fact that I said I I was the one that locked myself into a life of servitude to the creditors. I was given an out when I was 20-something before I signed up for all of the credit junk. But I chose to make those bad choices, and I ended up in a bad spot. And then I'm blaming God for not blessing me. And I'm not saying God didn't have a responsibility to provide for me. He did. I'm not saying God couldn't have taken me out of that mess. He chose that I would walk through it, and it took 40 plus years to finally get out of debt. I'm debt free today, thank God. What a freedom it is to be able to spend my money how I choose. And to say, if the Lord says to me, be generous, I can be generous. Without fear that I'm stealing from my family's food or my family's security or safety. And I, I literally, I, <laughs> I eat you always. sorry, it's a little bit raw for me. I sat here this morning while we were singing the songs. And the Lord reminded me, or maybe I was just reflecting on it. When I was a brand new airman in the United States Air Force, I went to my boss and I said, I want to learn how to take $250 out of my paycheck every month and put it into an investment fund. And he said, don't do it yet. Wait a year. Okay. Had I... Listened to what was in my heart and not him. I would have been a millionaire today. You want to know how? Talk to me later. I saw your face perk up. Talk to me afterwards. You still have time. And I almost got myself stuck in that same thing again this morning. Why in the world didn't you... Protect me from that guy, God. Why didn't you get someone else to give me good advice? I could have been a millionaire. Think of all the things I could have done for you in this world. And the Lord was like, don't go there, Bob. Don't go there. You're getting ready to preach on this. (laughs) (laughs) But see, the enemy tries so hard to trip us up, even when we're strong. Even when we're mature. Even when we've got years and years under our belt. Because the enemy, his whole purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Because he hates God so much. So what do you need to take from this today? This is what you need to take from this. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, know that he's got you. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, know that you can depend on him for absolutely everything. If he chooses to allow good in your life, yay! If he chooses to allow trouble in your life, yay. If he chooses for things to not be so great, yay. And do not allow the enemy to distract you from the fact that you have certain promises in Christ. And none of them include a smooth and level path. None of them. Some people, he does bless that way. But most of us, not so much. But we do have the promise. God can bring good out of whatever you're in. Hallelujah. Okay. I have so much inside of me right now, but it's more personal than it is um, preaching I will. I will ask for you. This is. This is not so much the sermon as is it just Bob talking to people that he loves and cares about. I will ask for your prayers, because, um, as a pastor, I am being brought a lot of pain by people that I know. And I I got a phone call last night, ten thirty at night, from somebody. Pastor, I need to talk to you about blah 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 blah. Honestly, I was sitting, what I wanted to say was, I am sitting here trying to be holy and prepare a sermon. Would you stop bothering me? But I couldn't do that in good conscience. So I listened. There was not a thing I could do for them other than to pray for them. And I promised that I would continue to pray for them. But it weighed heavy. I am working with families right now that are in distress and it weighs heavy. I am working with a lot of stuff and it weighs heavy. I'm not saying I don't want it. I uh, I think it's wonderful that God is trusting me with this. But I don't want to get trapped into the enemy trying to distract me, dissuade me, cause me to go in a path I don't want to go. And I, the last thing I'll leave you with, and that's, that's, that's a thought that I had too as as all of this was going on. Peter was able to walk on water. Until he took his eyes off of God and put them on the circumstances he was facing. And then he began to sink. Keep your eyes on Christ, not the prize. Don't keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on Christ. Trust God. Let God be the one to lay out whatever needs to happen. When you have a need, bring it to God. Don't try and sort it out for yourself. And walk the path that's before you. I think I'm done now. Let's pray. Jesus, I love you with all of my heart. And I believe that indeed you are my shepherd. And my lover. And my provider. And my rock and my shelter and the light and the darkness. Thank you so much, God, for your faithfulness to me. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the gifts that you have given. Yes. And Lord God, I just pray that you would go with us now as, as we go out into the world. Help us to express what this being a Christian really means to the people that don't have a clue. We give you praise, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.